A number of years ago, I went on a family holiday to the Gold Coast in Australia, and uh, we went to the theme parks, um, Movie World being one of them, uh, mostly because we went with my younger brother, and he's sort of a, an adrenaline junkie, and he kind of nagged us to go to these things. I was actually at a stage of life where I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not that worried, but he's like, no, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Anyway, we went to Movie World, and if you've been to Movie World on the Gold Coast, they have this ride there called the, the Superman ride. Anyone, anyone else been on that? Yep, some brave souls here. <laughs> anyway, we've done a few of the rides, and I'd kind of got my, my courage was going really well. And then we got to this thing, and I, I was sort of like, ooh, this thing looks quite, uh, quite freaky sort of thing. Um, but... But my brother was very insistent, you've got to do this, it's great, it's amazing. And then, I, you know, I sort of gave into a bit of the advertising, there were sort of pictures of happy people and smiling, like, oh, maybe this isn't so bad. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of watched people go around, I was like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. And, I, and, and my brother put a lot of peer pressure on, you know, he's my younger brother, so he was putting all that pressure on that I was a big wimp and all this sort of thing. And, and so I, I gave in. Anyway... I, I plucked up enough courage, I, I sat in that thing, and you know that, that thing goes over the top of you, and it's like, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> and then you know you can't get out. Well, you could probably cry and pee your pants or something, and they might come and undo it, but pretty much you're stuffed. Like, the thing's going to go then, it starts moving, and I'm like, maybe this won't be so bad, maybe this won't be so bad. And then it like, it goes out, sort of straight out, and then it does this incredible sort of, and then down. And it's like, oh, you're doing all these amazing G-forces. And, uh, yeah, it was worse than I thought. <laughs> There's me. Yeah. So you can see here, uh, that's my brother having a great time. There's lots of family and kids all around having a wonderful time. But that's me losing it. <laughs> you can't actually see in this photo, but um, my, my knuckles are all white. white like, I'm like holding on for dear life, like, I got off the end of that thing, and I was like, <sighs> like, sweat all down my back, it was, it was an awful event. <laughs> I say all that to say, in that moment, I was, I was being led. Uh, I was giving into the pressure of my brother, and, you know, the advertising, and everything, and, and I, I was being led into a situation that I didn't particularly really want and then found out I didn't really, really want, um, but I was being led into that situation. And I guess the big picture or the big kind of question that I kind of want to put out to you today as I go through this passage is, who is leading your life? Is it Jesus? Is it yourself? Or is it someone else or something else? Because I, I, I feel like uh, a lot of people in the world, including myself and including a lot of Christians, um, sometimes have this kind of view of life that they're in charge. There's a very famous um, poem by a guy called William Henley. He was an atheist. He was dying of tuberculosis and he sort of survived that and then he carried on and he wrote this stoic poem called Invictus, which means unconquered in Latin. And there's a, there's a, line, there's a line in there at the end that says, I am the captain of my soul, I am the master of my fate. And it's, it was kind of this kind of arousing thing about, like, I will grind through life, I will do it all on my own, I will lead my life. And, and I feel like 
a lot of people out in society, and e- even people as Christians kind of imbibe a bit of this, hey, like, even though Jesus is your saviour, I'm kind of in charge of this thing, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm riding this ship, like, I'm the captain here, and the reality is, is, is not quite that, um, people believe that, but it's not quite, people aren't aware how much they are being led by their friends, by their families, by technology, which is the big one, and we don't realise how much we've been sort of nudged into different directions by advertising and by political things and all this. And we think that we're making our own rational, logical decisions about things, but we're actually being led by a lot of factors. Because I think ultimately we like to think that, um, and this is really going back to the Enlightenment, that we're basically um, brains on legs. And so that we're just these logic centres that just can interpret things and kind of, yep, yes, right, you know, information in, information out, and I can make logical decisions. But we are so unaware how much we are moved by our, our desires and our hearts. That's, that's, why, that's why a lot of diets fail, because logically you know you shouldn't eat that thing. But next thing you're at the fridge and the cake's in your mouth, and you're like, how did I get here? Like, I know this is bad for me, but man, this tastes good. Oh, so good. That's because your limbic system, which is hungry, is like, eat now. (laughs) But your prefrontal cortex is like, no, it's bad for you. But your limbic system, no, do it now, eat it. And so it's in your mouth and you're like, oh, how did that happen? Anyone had that experience? And I think a big thing that's leading our life is our busyness and the pressures that are on us. I found this um, online and I thought it was just such a great uh, uh, summary, uh, like an alternative Psalm 23 for our lives. The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down when I'm exhausted. Oh, sorry, it makes me lie down only when I'm exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. They demand performance for me beyond the limits of my schedule. (laughs) I love this line. They anoint my head with migraines, my in-basket or... uh, or, or your in, uh, inbox for Outlook, overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. How are you doing this morning? Everyone very cheery? Now compare that to the real Psalm 23. Which, oh, sorry. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now look at this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not mine. Look at this further down. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. There's something really interesting in there, because that's actually the sh- David as you know, personifying the sheep is talking about the shepherd, who is God. And, and have you noticed that, that it's about leadership? He's actually acknowledging in his life that God is the leader of his life. And so when Jesus is saying, 
you know, he is the good shepherd. I think the, the closest analogy for us 2,000 years later is I am the good leader. I am the good leader of your life. I'm going to lead you into good things, but you've got to surrender to him. You've got to surrender your control of yourself or whatever else is controlling you to God to allow him to do that because you can't restore your soul on your own, right? You can't refresh yourself. That deep soul care that you desperately need, you cannot do on your own. Jesus can do that for you. And so he's, what he's saying here in this, this passage is a sense of a, you know, you've got to surrender. You've got to follow me. Now, the context of this um, passage, uh, I'll quickly just whip over that from last week, and especially for the ones who weren't there. The actual context of this passage you'll find in your Bibles to the left in Luke 9 was Jesus healed a guy who was born blind. Incredible miracle, and like every miracle that Jesus does, it causes controversy because the kingdom of God is broken through and there's, causes massive debate with the religious leaders of their day who were called the Pharisees. And what happens is it's, a, it's actually a really was a beautiful story in the sense of what Jesus does, but it's actually a tragic story in the way that the religious leaders respond to this man because ultimately they, they, don't, they don't know what to do with this miracle. This guy is an outcast in their society and they don't want him in their version of church, which is synagogue, and so they actually throw him out on the street. And there's a beautiful part at the end as Jesus comes back into the scene and actually sees him and actually... You know, reveals who he really is to this man. And in that sense, it, you know, this man represents all of us in the sense of being spiritually blind all our lives. And then we really see Jesus for who he is. And then Jesus, you know, acknowledges who he is and restores him in, into a sense of relationship and community. And, and effectively, everything in Luke 10 is really just a discourse where Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees primarily and then to other people around you know, about his kingdom, about what he is doing with this man, which we can, you know, also use because it applies to us and to everyone as well. And in that one last week, I talked about that Jesus is the gate and, or sorry, the door, but it can be translated as the gate. And what Jesus is saying there is that he is the access way into life. He is the access way into life. Yeah, it, it's narrow, like everything's narrow in life, really, when you boil it down. But he's saying, come to me, come through me, and you're going to find life. And he promises that you will find life and life in abundance. And the whole sort of passage is really Jesus critiquing uh, religious leaders and people who have not helped people come into life, who have blocked people from accessing God, or who have put too much things on top of people with rules and religion that basically people can't meet that standard that's been set. And the thing is that Jesus is saying here, is, as, as he says, I am the good shepherd, this is a, a, a beautiful picture that the people listening would have understood because it's, an, it's a picture that they knew from their, their old, the Old Testament, from the Torah, which was that, that, that God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. 
But the, the beautiful part about this is Jesus being our shepherd and our good leader is that he is a good shepherd. And the word good there it actually doesn't really um, give justice to, to, to what the original language says because it actually has something more like beautiful. He is the beautiful shepherd. He is the beautiful leader. He is that wonderful person who is taking us into life, who's caring for us, who's looking after our souls. Like, that is a God that I want to follow, don't you? Like, that is so beautiful. That just, like, I, just, I just love that. And how good is this leader? How beautiful is this Jesus? We read there that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yes, the Old Testament had a, a picture of the, the shepherd, a beautiful narrative of, of how God cares for us and lays down his life for us. But there actually wasn't that sense of like that the shepherd would go and die for the sheep as well. So Jesus takes it to that next level as a shepherd, as the, as the best shepherd, best leader there could ever be. He's actually going to die for all of us. And that's what he does. That's what we're celebrating in a couple of weeks, that he actually did that for us. He laid down his life so that we could have life. I, I, was, I was trying to think about in the sense of uh, uh, this whole thing, at the, uh, you know, because they're an agricultural society. Uh, I, I feel like some of that, that doesn't translate so well to us in our society um, because... Yeah, you know, sure, we've got sheep out in our, you know, if you go out to a farm or something, like even as a city slicker like me, I've, I've been to a few farms, I've seen some sheep. But it's all quite, um, it's all quite kind of serene and easy. Like, we don't have apex predators here in New Zealand. Like, they don't have to worry about the wolves or, or things attacking them and stuff. Yeah, sure, stuff happens to the sheep out there, but it, it's all very, um, I don't know, domesticated, I suppose is the right word. Whereas in their day, that was very real. There were thieves and robbers and there were wolves and there were wild animals that would, would take or kill the sheep. And so they were incredibly vulnerable. And that's what Jesus is saying here in a sense is, I am a good leader that will care for the sheep. I will lay down my life for the sheep. The other leaders that have been there, like it talks about a, you know, like a hired hand, the hired hand doesn't care if the wolf comes. He just bolts. He's out. Like, I don't, I'm not going to lay down my life for these guys. But Jesus is that great leader that will do that for us. And there's actually a, a beautiful thing in there uh, around the whole thing. Um, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, verse 16, and they will listen to my voice, so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is actually talking about there is us. Because he's talking to the nation of Israel, but he's actually he's, he's, he's looking forward, to projecting into the future that there's going to be all of us as part of that flock. All of us joining into that community of God. Like that wonderful promise that we are part of this big, beautiful family of God. There's, um, there's a couple of points I just sort of, sort of want to make as, as, as I bring this sort of message into sort of land. There's, there is safety in community. There's safety in the flock. Like, I don't know about you, you probably, I'm sure there's people here who say, oh, well, I know someone who, you know, they don't go to church and they've got a fantastic relationship with God and da-da-da. I'm sure there, there are always exceptions to the rule. 
But in my experience, and I'm sure it's in your experience, if you think of friends and family who are believers, when, when you drift away from relationship and community, and, and you know, invariably people generally start to do dumb stuff, a bit like sheep, right? <laughs> like sheep, they, they tend to fall over on their own and get lost and fall off cliffs and stuff. If you're in community coming along the church, it doesn't mean there's a guarantee that you're not going to do dumb stuff, but your, your likelihood or your, uh, the chances of you doing dumb stuff is just going to go up as you, as you get away from community, right? Um, I, uh, I should have talked about Peter Burke about this before I said this, but the, the other week I was at his house and he uh, showed me these photos of he'd gone walking in the bush and he'd found this, this, this sheep that had gone missing. And it was, it, was, it was basically trapped in a little sort of ravine thing. And it was just like, f- like furry as, eh? Like it was just like covered in all this wool. And it was just sort of trapped there. And he, he basically, classic Pete Burke fashion, he sort of went on this adventure to sort of get it out of like, you know, <laughs> like MacGyver it out of this ravine sort of thing to get it to safety. Oh, oh Lonnie's going to add some detail. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, back to the main point. <laughs> but thank you, Lily, for that great background story. Um, but it was just really interesting looking at these photos and just realizing, man, which sheep on their own just get into all sorts of trouble. And and sure, you don't want to be with the r- running with the wrong crowd. But if you're in, in good community and good Christian community. That's gonna that's gonna make your odds of following Jesus go a lot better um, because you're gonna have people you can actually reach out to. Um, you know, there's, in the past people have um, you know with the church sometimes things have been a bit more controlling about people when they're making decisions in life. But I feel like we've almost gone to the other extreme that that when when people are like making decisions about their life like careers or if I should move to the city or if I should um, marry this person or all these sort of things that that we tend to just make those decisions ourselves now rather than reaching out to some of our brothers and sisters who we're in relationship with and just saying hey I'm I'm thinking and feeling this would would you pray with me about this would you yeah would you you just think about this, and would you, can we talk about this? Can you pray with me about this? So that others who are hearing from Holy Spirit as well can help you discern Jesus' leading in what you're just doing and decisions. So, yeah, the first point I just want to really make is that, that there's actually something really important about community and what we do here on Sundays. I really feel like Sundays, I've just been thinking about this lately, it, it's like a circuit breaker from our world. Because we go out into the world, and we go, we're in that world, and we're doing our work, and all this stuff, and then when we come in on Sunday, and we gather with the people of God, it's like a circuit breaker for our souls to be like, oh no, we're part of something bigger. You know, we, we get caught up in the grandeur of God. If we're discouraged, we, become, we get encouraged, and we pray for one another, and we break, you know, we break bread, we take communion. Like we, we declare what is really important in our lives. And, and I feel like, you know, that, that is why we do church. I, I get that it's not always exciting. I, I'm probably very boring at times, I'm sure. <laughs> but that's not the point. It's about being the faithful people of God. Because this is where we know we'll find life. This is the place we know we'll find help and support if we're struggling. 
That's what it's about. It's what Eugene Peterson called a, a long obedience in the same direction. It's about being the faithful people of God. And then the other aspect of that is, is actually um, our time with the Lord. If you want to be led by the Lord, you have to actually spend time with Jesus. You can't just like ignore God for, forever and ever and then be like, Lord, I need help with this, this, and this. In His grace and His mercy, He often meets us in those spaces. But if you want to discern the will of God, if you want to hear His voice accurately, you've got to spend time with Him. So I encourage you again as we, we keep banging that drum, you know, get some devotional rhythms in your life. Build into this every day. Get help with that. You don't know where to start. Like start building this as a rhythm into your life. And again, some days are not going to be exciting. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. You know, the office is coming. The meeting's coming. Whatever uh, frustrating or boring thing you've got to do this week is coming. But God is there, and we need to meet Him every day. The key for this passage. Um, And the thing I really want to land on this morning as, as we sort of bring this to a close is around the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. And then in John 10, 27, just a little bit further on, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Uh, I think this is probably the hardest part of allowing God to lead your life. Because I think that normally we go to God wanting Him to answer all those things, the shopping list, eh? I, I was thinking about this this morning, it's almost like that, you know when you go to those vending machines and you, and you press in like E18 and then you get it wrong and then you've got to go back and E15 and you put the money in, and then the thing gets caught on the, uh, another $2 or whatever. <laughs> But I think that sometimes that we go to like that with prayer, it's like, man, I need an answer on that thing. So I'll just punch in the formula or what I think the formula is. That didn't work. I'll start again, you know, kind of thing. We go to God with these things. And yes, you know, the Gospels tell us to ask our Heavenly Father for things. But sometimes as, as God is leading us, He's not always wanting to answer all those things that we think are so important. Because it's almost like we go, like I know myself, I go to God going, oh, Lord, would you build my kingdom? No, this is really awesome, God. You know, like, this is really great. Would you do this thing? And God's like, I'm not interested in that. This is what I want to say to you today. And, and often the very things that he always wants to say to me, and I'm, this might be your experience, is more about who I am and, and what he thinks about me. Because that's the most important stuff. And all the instructions and all the other stuff that's got to go on in life, that flows out of that. But my identity in him and the stuff that he's trying to work on in my life, that is the most important thing. It might be like, oh, no, I really want you to forgive that person. I, I, Lord, I, I really want you to, you know, help that person out. Or, or I just need to tell you this morning, Nick, that I love you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Lord, yeah, I know you love me. He's like, no, no, I love you, Nick. And it's like, it's, like, it's like he keeps tapping away at that door. I love you, Nick. Yeah, 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 but I've got to get this all in. I need you to do this. And, and he's like, no, I love you, Nick. And then it's like, and it's like the dam bursts. And it's like, oh, yes, you do. Oh. And Amy comes out, and I'm like bawling my eyes out, like with my Bible there in the morning with my coffee, because I'm having a revelation of the Father's heart. 
I'm allowing him to transform me in the deepest part of who I am to lead me. And that's that, all that part of leadership is just surrendering to him and allowing him to speak into those very core things about us. But on a more practical note, I, I find people do really want to know how to do it. <laughs> how do you do it? How do you actually hear from God? And uh, sorry for the people coming along tonight. I'm just swiping this from John Mark Comer. Thanks, JMC. Um, these are the ways he, that he sets out that, that actually God speaks to us if we're, if we're letting him lead us in our life, if we're hearing his voice. So he says, you know, we primarily obviously hear from Jesus. Um, we can hear from Scripture. So um, many of us do that, you know, you open up your Scripture. And, but even more than just Bible study, actually opening up the Scripture, like Lecto Divina and things like that, where you actually just lean the Holy Spirit, like get a torchlight on things, so that you actually say, oh, yeah, that's what you're saying there, God. That's what you're actually saying to me this morning. Um, this is a very good one, circumstances. Um, I, I, I don't know who the guy said it, but there's a famous quote saying, God comes to us disguised as our life. <laughs> so you have circumstances going on in your life, things happening, and you're like, are you in that, God? Is this door opening because you're in that? Is this opportunity happening because you're in that? Or even something, you know, like something difficult is happening, but God's leading you to something else, and it's like, what's going on there? And it's, that's that process of discernment, and that's why we need to do it in community, so we're not just doing it on our own as lone sheep. Desire. Um, our feelings are very deceptive, and, and you can't just run on your feelings all the time, but I don't think the answer is not to look at your feelings, because God created us with feelings and thoughts. That's how he speaks through our feelings and thoughts. So how you're feeling about something, sometimes is the Holy Spirit putting something on your heart. And I think, um, just as a generalization, I think women get this a lot better than men with their intuition, like a feeling, a gut feeling like about something. Oh, yeah, I feel this about that. What's, what's that, Lord? What is that? Um, the prophetic. Uh, always encourage this, you know. Basically, the Holy Spirit speaks to other people on your behalf, and then they, they speak to you, something from the Father's heart. And yeah, sure, you need to weigh it up and discern it, um, but there can be amazing revelation that comes from someone else saying something you've been thinking about and praying about, and then they say a prophetic word to you, and you're like, oh, yes, that's it. That's what I've been asking about, Lord. And I, I really love that bit where Paul talks about that, that we prophesy in part. And my, my thinking on that is, is if Paul says that, like, because no one has the whole picture, because we need each other. Because if there was the prophetic person that had everything, just knew everything, we'd just go to that person, right? They'd be like the guru guy. You'd go to him and you'd just wait in your line. Come on. Yep, I want my yep, it's my turn now. Tell me everything I need to know. But I think Paul said we prophesy in part because he wants the community to do that. So that you'll get a word from one, one person. You'll say, someone else will say, I had this dream that it meant this. Um, I had this vision, does this mean anything to you? So that your, your community of faith is bringing that revelation of what God is leading you into in this moment. And then, of course, yeah, dreams, visions, uh, all that uh, are very helpful to hear from God. I, I think dreams are something that we completely ignore in our rational Western world. Uh, God, I think there's a good chunk, I can't remember the stat, but there's a good chunk of the Bible, it's basically just dreams and visions, like it's a massive part. And then just listening prayer, and this is basically um, Elijah in the cave in First Kings, 
he's in a, in, a, in a terrible state, and God finally speaks to him and says, you know, what are you doing here? And I feel like God's not saying, like, what are you doing here, you idiot? I feel like God's saying, why are you here, oh, Elijah? Come on, I love you, I care about you, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. Come back into that, you know? Like, I'm here. And that's that still, small whisper that we often hear and ignore because of all the noise that's in our lives. But if we are able to still ourselves, we can hear his voice. Do you mind standing? I just felt as I prepared this message, uh, I know it's true of my life, uh, that I've been doing, I do a lot of Project Nick, like, you know, trying to work out things for myself and trying to think, oh, this will be awesome and this will be great. But I constantly come back to that place of, no, you are Lord Jesus. And so I want to follow you. I want you to be my shepherd because you're a good shepherd and I can trust you and I want you to lead my life because I know you you love me at the deepest, chorus part of me, no matter what I've done or where I've been, but you love me and care about me. And so I want to I submit to your leadership. And I know in the West, as individuals, we hate all that talk about leadership and authority and all that sort of stuff, but man, don't we need someone to bring us home? It's tiring trying to be your own boss or being pulled around by others. But this is the good shepherd. This is the one who will care for you. He's a good boss. He's a good leader. He cares for you. He, he will bring you home. So this morning, if you feel that, um, you feel that you'd just love to, again this morning, just submit to Jesus, he's not going to force you to do anything. It's all invitation. But if you want to submit to his leadership and his love and his care this morning as the good shepherd, um, I'm just going to pray over us in a minute, but you might just want to respond in some small way by putting your hands out. And then I'm just going to pray over us.